Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you again. We want to welcome you, all our listeners, wherever you are tuning in from. It's always a joy to open up the Word of God. I think especially in these times, I know, especially in these times, I think the order of the day has to be always to get into God's Word, for this is the only thing that is going to keep us in this hour. And we have been studying. It's interesting. I was meditating and, and accounting for all that, that has been happening in these last uh, over 30-something days of teachings in these podcasts. We are literally going throughout the Word of God, from Genesis to Exodus to the book of Job to the book of Amos to the book of Zechariah to the book of John, Revelation, Daniel. I mean, the Lord has taken us on a tremendous journey uh, these last 30 days showing us, showing us and answering the questions of of what is taking place in this hour. And it's always a pleasure to uh, come together along with the panel, Brother Fernando and Brother Marty, to come together and, and to be a blessing and to and to be able to teach God's Word as the Lord allows us today. And so I'm excited. This is now uh, Thursday, the 23rd of 2020. And we are excited about what God has for us on this day. So may God bless you. And Brother Marty, uh, I'll leave it here with you. Well, praise the Lord again. It's good to be with you all today. And uh, we're excited about the Word of God. We've been hearing some very encouraging reports and the emails we've received and the encouragement that's being given by the Spirit of God for the glory of the Lord to the to the people of God. And and really, that's, that's our... Um, you know, that's our desire, you know, is that is that we understand and in many senses redefine what it really means uh to be the church and to uh to, to have church, right? For too long now we've we've wit- we've witnessed uh, you know, a particular um expression of what they call church, but in the in truth, the church began in, in a house, right? I mean, in an upper room. And uh, and and then it 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 was in many different houses and various places where anyone who loved the Lord got together, and they broke bread daily. The Bible says they 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 came around the Word daily, and they grew and and they fellowshiped one with another. There 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 was a there's a purity to that and a beauty in it. Nobody gets the glory in those kinds of situations but the Lord Jesus Christ. In those situations, He said, wherever two or three are gathered in My name, there I'll be. And they knew a vibrancy, an excitement, a uh, a, a birth of the church uh, that had had never been, and 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 the church spread. Thousands and thousands began to be born again, and 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 the truth of what they possessed and had in the early church, uh, the strength of it—that is, the Lord in His church by His Holy Spirit—has has has lasted up till now. You know, two thousand years later. And and right. subsequently, because of that, we have we have the Word of God, and and I think God is returning us. Honestly, one of the things that He's trying to do in America, especially, uh, is is to remind His saints, those that have been disenfranchised, if you will, those who haven't felt like they were really part of what what had built up to such an extent just before all the churches were shut. What became 
you know, the focus of church uh, really uh, evolved into into some sort of a Broadway theater-like presentation, you know, especially amongst the, the, the mega churches, which have a big influence on the smaller churches. You know, we right. began to, right? I mean, we began to, to create, you know, a, a presentation of, of of religion rather than uh, a vibrant encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ when we were getting together. I mean, we began to, what we've seen is the development of, of, uh, you know, of a production, you know, where, where right. we get together, there's a few songs sung, there might, you know, whoever's got the best music, the best choir, you know, the handsomest preacher, whatever, you know, that's, that's where we got to go. Well, you know, and, and then what they do is they make it happen to you. Right, they come and, right. and do this thing, right? And, but it becomes theater, and then everybody breaks off into a little camp. You know, my favorite is this guy, or my favorite is that guy. And all throughout all of this, somewhere along the line, we've lost the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he might be given lip service to, but the truth of the matter is, is, is uh, the gospel has not been being preached, you know, on a national and global scale. Uh, for quite some time now. There's always been faithful pastors, always been faithful believers, even as in the time of Elijah when God told him, you know, you're you're not alone. Elijah felt like he was alone. But he said, you know what, there's 7,000 that I've reserved unto myself. They haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And, and it's that way now. You know, God ha- always has his people all over the world. And so we're excited. And, and what we really hope is that in these in these podcasts and in these Bible studies is that we encourage you, if anything, to search the scriptures and to and to begin to grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us yeah. to our subject today, right? We're in Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna launch from here and hopefully by the grace of the Lord and his Holy Spirit, the the door will be open so that we can speak the gospel as we should. And we're gonna continue to look at what we've already started over the, this week, basically and that's uh, the spiritual warfare and, and what's taking place. So I want to read this morning uh, out of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with the 12th verse. The Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says this. He says, For we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So I want to talk to you a little bit today uh, from a different aspect of the battle that we've been describing has been ongoing ever before there was a man on the face of the earth. And we've described this, and I encourage you to go back and look or at least listen to the podcast that we've done this entire week, and I think you'll get a fuller picture but we're going to we're going to focus on that statement today and we're going to look at it from a little different angle and i think you'll be you'll be encouraged and challenged by what's about to be said so the first thing i want to i want to look at is is the is what paul states here in 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 verse 12 he says we we wrestle not against flesh and blood so this statement of the apostle paul is it's intended to wake us up really <laughs> right yeah. uh, you know he understood right. he understood so well that the the forces uh that there are forces that that oppose the children of light that come against us and he wanted them to understand that you know the the children of of the lord uh 
whose children we are, whose church we are, are in a battle. And and whether we realize that or not, Paul is trying to tell us, you're wrestling against something. And what's really profound to me there is that he he wants us to consider things on a much deeper level. So he says, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. This is not a natural or in the natural type of conflict. And he begins to open up and reveal to us principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. He begins to take them into the realm of the unseen. And remember, he's not addressing the world here. He's addressing the church because the church, it is incumbent upon the church to understand its enemy and to understand the marching orders and subsequently the necessary equipment that he's about to reveal called the whole armor of God that is necessary to engage in this battle. And he first wants us to understand you're in a fight. He uses the word wrestle. And that word is really interesting because, and this might be a little new for some people, but the actual word wrestle means uh, to vibrate, to to have vibration. And, and, and it's really... It's a really interesting word because because he's trying to cause us to understand the differences between dimensions and 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 the forces which he likens to wrestling are are vibrations if you will or dimensions or the thin veil between our world and the unseen and so he uses the word wrestle which also means to be in a violent or intense fight. Those are really descriptive words, yeah. right? Right, I mean, you, right. Say, you know, you say, well, you're, you're in a violent fight, in an intense fight. And, 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 and that is one of the things that, that many in the modern era don't even want to go there. They don't want to discuss it. But he wants us to understand that we're in a battle. And it's really the ignorance of this fact that we're in a battle why so many people are overthrown in their faith or struggling with so many things and they try so many you know modes of 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 or methods to try and overcome so many things in their life focusing on their own you know defeat uh from the perspective of the natural and paul says in order to fully understand the kind of conflict that you're really in is to understand that the origin of it and the reason that it's coming against you is coming from a different place than you've ever been used to. And it's only by the Spirit of God, which is why he started off Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then we encourage you to go back and listen to the last two or three podcasts because we, we explored those words in depth. But he wants us to understand that we're in a battle. It's the ignorance of this. It's the ignorance of this conflict that we're engaged in. And and it's interesting because he, he also says, you know, you he didn't say, let's ask what, what he didn't say. He didn't say, uh, you know, you have an option to be engaged in this battle. Yeah, right, <laughs> he he right. does, right? <laughs> it's like, right. you know. It's so. It, that's why it's such a tragedy. What we get in most of the of, of Christianity, especially in the West today, because it's all geared toward making us feel better, making us look better, 
you know, it's all about my five-star vacation and my trophy wife, like we said, add infinitum. I mean, everything, you know, my perfect 3.6 kids, you know, and they're all 4.0 average students. And, you know, my my son is the, you know, is, is the quarterback for the high school, man. Jesus is with us. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, the reality is that is so not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you begin to talk to them about conflict, about battle, about being ignorant, ignorant of the battle, it, it causes many people to, to, to get off the train right there, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to hear that kind of stuff. Well, whether you like it or not, Paul says, we're wrestling against these things. We are right. fighting against these things. And it's not optional. It is a fact. It is an established revelation from the Apostle Paul and he's he's trying to communicate this to us so that we won't be ignorant of what it is that we're going through and why it is that we're going through it. Now, Brother Marty, <laughs> yes, when, when we're when we're ignorant about these things, we give Satan an advantage, and that's what that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Second Corinthians uh, chapter two, verse eleven: "Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we should." not be ignorant of his devices that's excellent so that's a, i like that what about that scripture because that's what he says in verse 11 right do you guys have your bible 6 11 in ephesians yes yes read, read that brother jeremy would you uh put on the whole armor of god that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil yeah and that's exactly what you were just quoting in in, in corinthians right he talked about yes. the devices of the devil, the the wiles of the devil in Ephesians, the devices of the devil is how he describes it. And really what he's talking about is his methods, his modes yes. of operation, the yes. way that he fights or engages in battle. We have to ask ourselves, and we tried to put that forth a little bit yesterday, and I encourage you again to go listen to it, but but the devices or the methods of the enemy cause us to if we if we'll take time to meditate on that to understand that we are dealing here with with an intense opposing force that specifically is in te- is attempting to 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 take us down you remember when when uh, at the last supper you know and, and Jesus was telling them you know I got to go away and 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 Peter tells him you know I, I don't care where you go I'm going to go with you and he says, if I die with you, I die with you. And the Lord said, told him something. He said, you know, Peter, he says, the truth is you're going to deny that you know me uh, three times before the rooster crows tonight. And then he said, uh, and then he revealed to him something. He said, Satan himself has desired to sift you like wheat. The attention, and we, ain't got, we don't have time to get into it other than, other than what you just quoted, Brother Jeremy is that is that we cannot be ignorant of his devices right you don't don't think just because you don't think about it it ain't happening because he specifically he specifically targeted the apostle peter for destruction he wanted to bring him down and a lot of times we understand this that if you're going through something if you're feeling opposition whatever it may be it might be an addiction, it might be a depression, it might be an anger issue, it might be a feeling of worthlessness, whatever it may be. And I hate going down lists because I always leave something out, but it could be anything. 
what Paul is trying to make us understand is you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. In other words, the origin of these kinds of things that are coming against you are specifically designed and targeted against you because you appear to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness, just as the yeah. apostle Peter was. He knew, and we can't even get to that level of understanding unless we begin to understand what Paul's revealing here. He understood and he knew that should this apostle called Peter actually, you know, become what, what the Lord has, has destined him to be, he will be a significant foe and adversary uh, against the kingdom of darkness. So let's see if we can take him out or at least encumber him about with such a heavy guilt trip after he fails that he'll never rise or, or to become what he is intended and destined to be. Now, the enemy doesn't know everything. But he can see when he studies your life, that is, the demonic powers around us, when they see and reflect on the kind of promise that you might have or the kind of faith you might have in an exuberant moment, they recognize that. And it's as if they are activated to put that light out before it can mm -hmm. blossom into what God wants it to be. That's why you'll hear stories about how, how, how little kids, you know, you got to watch your little kids because. <laughs> they're the most precious thing that we have and the gifts that are in their life, the, the power of God that flows in their life or the quality of character or, or distinct talent or whatever they may possess as your child under your care, the enemy will try to take that out. And that is why we are so, uh, you know, that's just one aspect of why Paul is saying, look, all of these things, as much as we like to focus Jesus in my own personal life, Paul is saying something far deeper here, that collectively, whether it's a father, mother, a bunch of kids, a community, a church, or whatever, it, all of it needs to understand that once you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit began to work within you, you have become a significant target for opposition. And so Paul, being the great apostle that he is, he wants them not to be ignorant of that. And so many that are ignorant of this fact, that is why they struggle, or at least we all struggle, but that is why people struggle without knowledge. And they don't know right. how to rise up about, above it, right? Because they're not even uh, fully um, engaged with the understanding that what is actually coming against me is, is from, a, from the origin of, of spiritual darkness and wickedness which is specifically targeting any member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring them down because one less saint is one less problem to the kingdom of darkness. Or if you right, can get us, right. right. If, if you can get us so encumbered in so many other things that really have no importance in the long run and in the overall big picture of the kingdom of heaven, then he's, he's put us off to the side. We're on the bench, so to speak. But before the Lord comes, which are these, these years that we are now entering into, Remember what Paul said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. This whole yes. pandemic, this whole intense thing we're witnessing taking place globally right now, the intensity of it, the darkness of it, the death of it. Well, on the other side of that coin, let's take a look, because where sin abounds or where death, misery, and destruction abounds, you can bet your bottom shekel, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> that, that God is preparing a bride 
uh, in the midst of it to counteract that, not with an equal force, but an overwhelming authority given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead, right? So he wants us, right? So he wants us to understand we're in a fight and the fight is violent, it's intense, and, 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 and it's a fight that we must engage in. It's not optional. The saint of God is a target. And the reason that we're a target is because we carry the light. In one place in the scripture, we're called light. Paul said, you are light. That Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus told us about ourselves that we are a city set on a hill, right? And, and, and right. so that is why we become a target. Now, that light is, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we carry with us. And, and he's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of anything about you. But what he is afraid of is do you have the quality, the character, and the gospel of Jesus Christ residing within you? Do you carry the gospel? And if you do, that is what the enemy fears. Why does he fear it? Because it foretells his ultimate defeat. In other words, wherever the child of God is, being proactive in this dark world, like we were talking about yesterday when Jesus sent forth the apostles, telling them to go teach and make disciples of all nations. When the child of God is proactive, he is declaring and foretelling the ultimate defeat of the enemy by declaring the gospel. And when we declare the gospel, it it, it establishes an unchangeable fact. When the gospel is proclaimed, brothers, it's a legal edict. It's the authority of heaven itself manifesting itself in the earth. It's the treaty, if you will. It's the covenant that's being proclaimed. Yes, the decree. Good word. Because this planet no longer belongs to the prince of this world. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we as his representatives are to go forth and declare that truth. And that's the battle that Paul says that we we have... uh, you know, that we're engaging in. But I want to look at this now from a little different perspective with all that said, because the battle that we're referring to and the battle that the Apostle Paul is revealing to us, it's the same battle that's been going on before God ever put Adam in the garden. We've talked about that. Go listen to the podcast we pray over the last couple of days, and I think you'll get a really cool perspective of what it is what we're, we're continuing to study. Remember this, that the Lord revealed to Adam that there was a hostile force that was already present in the universe. And I want to look at that because what we're talking about is this this fight that we're engaged in. And what we're about to see is that this fight was already ongoing even before the very first man was formed and placed in the garden. And now let's take a look at this. Turn over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, with that in mind. And we're going to see something really interesting in Genesis 2, 15. Are you all there? Yes. Yes, sir. Genesis 2, 15. Check this out. So God puts, puts, he forms the man, and then he puts him in the garden. And in Genesis 15, something really interesting is said there. It says that he puts the man in the garden. Look at verse 15. It says, chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis says, And the Lord God took the man, and he put him into the garden of Eden to do two things. One was to dress it, and two was to keep it. 
So the statement we made was that was that the Lord revealed to Adam a hostile force. Why do you say that, Brother Marty? Because the first word and the first command he gave him was to dress it. Genesis 2.15, put the man in the garden to dress it. That word means to maintain it and to work it. In other words, cause it to produce fruit. But then the second thing he says is he, is he put him there to keep it. And that, that's a very, very right. In, insightful, right? Because the word keep it means to guard it and to protect it and to be circumspect. In other words, stay focused, Adam. And now that's the question, and we've had these discussions off air before, but, you know, <clears throat> the, the term to keep it, why would you tell Adam to guard the garden if everything right. was okay, right? <laughs> you want to talk about that a little? No, and this is this is something that we we uh, uh, miss out every time we read scripture, right? Because we just think of the garden as this serene place, and nothing happened that's evil before it. You know, where right. evil originated there. But obviously, uh, uh, what we see in the Hebrew here with that word that you just mentioned is that he he tells Adam to protect it. So obviously, there's some kind of evil presence there that he's warning him that has to be kept out. Yes. Right. Absolutely. So it's, it's, that's, it's, it's, it, we're, we're talking about that this war, this ongoing war uh, originated before the foundation of the world. So yes. it's something, it's a presence that was even there when God put man in the garden. That's correct. Yeah. And that's uh, what also, also, you can say, can you say also that God is giving them a warning, a heads up? You know, this is Absolutely. their, okay. Yeah. So no, go ahead. Okay. No, so that's what he's yeah, doing. Yeah. You know, he's he's telling Adam something exists. I'm not going to tell you the whole details, you know, about it, but it's there. I'm warning you. Uh, keep yeah. keep the garden, you know, because something is, is, is he's giving him a, a type of a warning. Uh, Yes. Well, and that's it. You know, we we really uh, we we don't have the uh, you know the full conversation other than why God put man in the garden uh, was to produce fruit and also to protect it, and that's what we're talking about here. Why would He use the term protect and guard, and then be circumspect, which is to be completely focused and be aware and awake, right? Because He's implying by saying that, that like Brother Fernando and you were saying, is that there's an ongoing hostile force somewhere. There must be. Otherwise, what do you have to protect it from? God? Right. right. <laughs> you know? so, so, so we have to let the scripture reveal itself to us because that's what it's saying. And 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 so when we're looking at Brother Marty, Brother Marty, Brother Marty also remember when they fell, when when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. It says that they put fig leaves, right, an apron of fig leaves uh, over their bodies because they saw that they were naked. Yeah. And, and just to throw this out there, uh, uh, we're talking about spiritual warfare, okay? Uh, the unseen world, the 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 the, the war that is taking place, um, that that originated in, in in before the foundation of the world and is finding itself raging right now on this planet. When the word apron in the Hebrew literally means armor. That's right. Okay? 
he was literally, uh, Adam was putting on an armor of sorts with his apron. That's the only thing he had available. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why? The question is why? Why was he putting on an armor? Because whether he realized it or not, he had chosen the wrong side. And that's and interesting. He was because... now he was now in war, at war with God. That's Incredible. right. That's what I was gonna say. That's interesting because that's what happens when when we fall from what the Lord has from us. Suddenly, God becomes a hostile force to us. Yeah. I was afraid yes. of you. That's exactly. what he said. Right? I was afraid of you. And 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 that's what you hear from most people. Uh, I can't go to church because until I get my life right. Why? Because they think God's a hostile force. The truth is, this right. is they're uncovered, right? And and it's and I'm glad you brought that up about the apron because we were talking about that yesterday. If you remember that that when he talked about putting on the armor of God, that that Adam lost that armor when he sinned, and it's why he suddenly realized he was unclothed, right? He had that yes. armor. God would never put him in the garden and then tell him to protect it with, you know, his ability to throw a few few jabs and some body punches. I mean, that's not what he was talking about. Right? But right. he's letting him know, right? And the reason we're bringing this out is because it's the same language that the Apostle Paul is using. It's the same language that that Paul's giving to the church is the same language that God gave to Adam. You're in a fight. There's a violent force. There's opposition that you're going to yes. come up against and you need to watch and be aware of this. So so Paul tells tells us we're wrestling against a hostile force and we know he goes on to say that's principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness so forth and so on. And and what what's being revealed is that force was already active when right. God made Adam. And the implications of that theologically are huge because <laughs> and we're not going to get into it today, but we will if the Lord allows in the coming days. But that 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 is our contention is that that sin and death, misery and destruction were a pre-existing condition before mankind ever showed up on the on the planet. And so the entirety of this unfolding gospel has its origins in the dateless ancient past. And when our attention is drawn to the one they called Adam we are also told that Adam already was being told, you're going to have to guard and protect this pristine, beautiful place that I've given you. And, and, and that's what we're saying is protect it from what? Obviously, he was warning him, there's a hostile force out there. And, and if he didn't have the authority, brother, to protect the garden, then he never would have told him to protect it. The commandment right. of God, right? The commandment of God was the protection of God. The commandment of God was the authority of God. When he acquiesced from that position, when he let that commandment go and believed another word, it stripped him of the authority that he had, and he fell. And and that's what we're going into now, because I want you to look at what, you know, what it is we're wrestling against, and let's look at what the Apostle Paul said about this opposing force, Let's look at what he said about the enemy. And in order to look at that, he says something really incredible. And we're going to look at it in uh, Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Remember we said we're going, to, we're going to look at this warfare from a different perspective. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 something incredibly profound. And we're going to look at this. Are you guys there? Yes. Ephesians 2, beginning with the first verse. And I hope you all listen and get your Bible so you can follow along. Now listen, Paul says this. He says, and you 
hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world or the flow of the universe, what's actually happening in the universe, the fallen state of it. You just went downstream with everybody else. That's what he's basically saying. He said, you walked, now listen to this phrase, this phraseology he gives here. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Now let's just break down those words and, and look at what Paul just revealed about the enemy. He said that you used to be part of that camp. You used to be part of the children of disobedience. If you're saved, you are no longer part of them. But then he wants to identify exactly who he is. And he uses some of the most profound language. First, he calls him a prince. That word in the, in the Greek is the word archon, archon. It means the chief ruler. The, the the first in power, the magistrate, the ruler. So he's the prince of something. He's the chief ruler of something. And what is that? It's the power of the air. Now that word power is really profound because we were talking about it yesterday. He's using the same language that Jesus used when he said, all power is given unto me. Paul is using the same exact word here to describe what the prince or the chief ruler has power over. He says he's the power or the exosia, which means he had or was and is the power of the delegated influence. That's what it means. The word power, it means delegated influence, jurisdiction, ability, privilege, authority, and dominion he became the chief ruler of the jurisdiction and dominion of the air now the word air is it it, it means this the breath or respiration and he is called the the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now let's just talk about that for a minute. What's literally being said here is that is that the children of disobedience are controlled by a spirit that is inhabiting them. That is, every person that is not saved, believe it or not, as benevolent or as sweet as they may look, <laughs> as rosy-cheeked and happy as they may seem, if they're not saved right if they're not saved paul is saying that they are absolutely unequivocally 100 percent being energized by the devil himself now let's take a look at this because he calls him the chief ruler of a power that power is a is a dominion and an authority and a delegated influence but what is that authority and dominion and where did it come from it came from the air. Now, I know you hear a lot of Southern preachers talk about the devil flying around in the air. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, that may be true in some sense, you know, as we know that, that there's territorial spirits over geographic territories of the planet. That is a truth. But what Paul yeah. is referring to, to here is, is not the air 
around the earth or in the stratosphere, he's actually talking about breath, respiration. He became the chief ruler and the deli- and, 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 and became the chief ruler of the power of the breath. It is the vital principle, the spirit, the vital principle that animates the soul and the mind of humanity. That's what he became the chief ruler over. And, and, and I want you to look at something because the word breath here is the, is, is the same, has the same meaning in the Hebrew as, as Paul used here in the Greek. Now go back and look at this. In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to look at this. Because this is what Paul is saying that the devil became the ruler of, what he became the, the chief ruler of. Are you there in Genesis 2? Yes. yes. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Look what he says. It says, and the Lord God, verse 7, Genesis 2, verse 7, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And what does he do? He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. The breath of life. Now let's look at this. Because when when God is saying that the enemy or the, the, the prince is how, how Paul described him, the chief magistrate, the chief ruler, he's referring to the devil, he became the chief ruler of the dominion and the authority that was invested in the breath. And the breath that he's referring to is the breath that God breathed into Adam. Understand this. It says the Lord God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Now, to understand this even more, we need to understand this. What is being said here by Moses in Genesis 2-7? He says that God breathed into him the breath of life. Paul says that the devil became the controller of the original power of the breath. He stripped man from his authority, his delegated authority and dominion. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where, where God gave Adam what? Dominion. Look at verse 27. I mean, verse 28. He says, and God blessed them. In chapter 1, verse 28, God, said, God blessed them. God said unto them, be fruitful, be multiplying, replenish the earth. We ain't got time to get into that. And subdue it. And what? Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the, the fowl of the air, everything that creeps on the earth. And, and then he begins to just unfold everything. So he gives him authority. He gives him a defined jurisdiction, which is the whole planet. <laughs> and, and he gives yeah. him uh, control or authority to, to rule and to govern the creation when he sets him on the earth. But into this, when he gives him that dominion, all of a sudden we have this Creature, this hostile force that God had warned him about, which we've been talking about earlier, right? Guard it and protect the garden. He shows up in Genesis chapter 3. And when Adam chose to rebel and partake of the fruit which he was told not to, he relinquished his authority over the planet and he took inside himself the spirit of disobedience. And it stripped him of his armor, 
and he was no longer in control of the exclusive purveyance of the Spirit of God animating his soul and his decision-making processes. He became exclusively controlled by the prince of the power of that breath now, the devil himself. I'm going to show you something in Genesis 2-7. It says, The Lord God breathed into the nostrils of the man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Check this out. That word, the it's, breath it's like, it's of the, life. The, it's the element from which he drew his breath changed. It was no longer from God. It was now right. coming coming from whatever the devil is, right? Is his thought. Yes. He, well, we're, we're told what he is. Right. He's, he's a spirit. Correct. Work is in the children of disobedience. Okay. I'll talk about that in a second. Listen to this. What is this breath of life? Because Moses uses two words to describe what it is. And I'm going to show you something here that I believe the scripture is revealing here. And Moses was revealing to us. The word breath of life or the word breath comes from two Hebrew words. One is shama and the other is nasham. Check this out. When God breathed the breath of life, it had two components to it, which are very insightful. He's making man, he forms him, and then God exhales into him. That's literally what it means. He exhaled. And, and the word, the breath, listen to this, it means the vital breath of the soul, but it, it was done in an angry way. That's what shama means. An angry but vital animating principle of the soul. That's one thing that God breathed into man. And the second thing that was wrapped up in that breath, which is nasham, because nashama and nasham mean breath, it was an angry exhalation of the Father. And nasham means to destroy like a woman in travail. So when God breathed into man, it was as if there was an anger to it. That's what Moses was saying. There was an anger in that exhalation of God that animated the soul. But when he breathed into him, we know from other scripture that he limited what he put in Adam. Correct. Remember, yeah. the Bible says that Adam was a was a was a uh, uh, living. a life a living soul, right? But Jesus is a life giving spirit, and Jesus is called the second Adam. So when God Correct. breathed into Adam, he limited he limited what he breathed into him. What he breathed into him was the animated soul. And I want you to understand something. In the exhalation, when God breathed forcefully into that first vessel, the word breath has with it the sense that it was an angry breath and that it was a breath that contained within it the substance of a woman in travail. Brother Jeremy quoted from Romans chapter 8 a few podcasts ago where it talked about that all creation is laboring in pain together, right? It speaks of right. a travail or a labor. Now, I don't want to get too fast here because I want to understand something. 
Paul says something really, really interesting in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, when he describes the mystery of the gospel, that it had been hid from the beginning. So when he breathes into Adam, what we learn, and subsequently throughout the years, the other scriptures that would be unfolding before the entire Bible was complete, but what we learn is that Adam was, was the first, Jesus was the second Adam. But when God initially breathed into Adam, there seems to be a component here of anger and the intent of animating this being, which he called Adam, human, humankind, was to bring about a birth of something. And I believe what God was doing was revealing the beginning, in the beginning, his intent, that it would be by the prototypical man, if you will, the first man, limited in order to protect. He allowed soul, but he didn't allow the Spirit of God fully to inhabit him. Now, that might be... Right. That's good. Right. Yes. <laughs> that might be controversial to some people, but you go do your own word studies and, and we can debate it. But I'm just putting forth this case here because Paul, remember what we're talking about, describes this wrestling, this contest is with that prince who stole and became the, the, the controller of that original breath. God didn't give Adam the entirety of what, what he was intending to ultimately give when he would send the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. Go ahead. So is it so? It's as though uh, when God breathed, there was a, uh, an anger that came with it. It's yeah. Because he knew what ultimately man would do. Yes. But but he but also as, knew. As well, yeah. But uh, yes. But as well, he also knew that in doing that, he was going to save man or make a way of salvation, right? By not yes. by not giving him the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Life. He just gave him the breath of life. Right. Yeah. And and, yes. and it is now the now he breathes on us the spirit of life. We have his spirit, and this spirit, yes. right? This spirit cannot be touched by the enemy. That's right. right? This it, is it, limited. It's in Christ. And the reason that it's it, it it's coupled with the anger is because I believe in it, and and amongst other things that we could talk about, but is the knowledge that this is going to cost my son everything. Right. And there's an anger there because that is the wrath of God hidden within the soul that that was originally animating man. As powerful and as profound as the soul was, it was yet limited in scope. Because the ultimate thing that God is doing and was going to do after Calvary was cause a completely different kind of man to be born, which we'll get into a minute. So when Paul talks about the dominion that was taken of the breath, it was taken by the devil. And it says he became the spirit that worketh. And that word spirit means the animator or the vital principle that is working now within all of humanity. So literally what happened was the soul, which is the mind, the will, and emotions of the perfect Adam, became stripped of the influence of the commandment or the word of God. And now he's partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is where the devil tried to uh, entice him and what the devil got him to do. And in so doing, remember, brethren, he ate the fruit. And when you eat something, we know from biology that it, it gets broken down into its components 
through the chemical processes of the body, and then it becomes part of the bloodstream. And this is why the blood became tainted and why the, 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 the sin that is in our blood is the very thing that kills us. Now listen, so what happened, what Paul is saying when he became the prince of the power of the air is that he became the animator of the soul so that the thoughts of mankind were on evil continually by the time we get to the flood. It's, it's an incredible thing because what was energizing the right and left hemisphere of the brain, where the soul is housed, if you will, it, it was the influence of the enemy. Now, understand this. What was the original sin of the enemy? It was that he wanted to be like the Most High God. And so when we see him in the garden, what he is seeing is a vessel that's created in the image of God. And he's always wanted to be God himself. Understand that when he came into the garden, he couldn't just come as a spirit. He had to inhabit a body. It was the serpent's body that he took control of. But the ultimate body that he was trying to inhabit was the body of Adam himself so that he could animate himself and become, if you will, in the image of God. Now, I know that's really heavy, but listen, that's exactly what he's going to try and replicate in the not too many uh, not too many, not too distant future from now, when the Bible predicts he's going to animate another being called the Antichrist, the son of the. Uh, that's true. Of the, of that's the true. We, we we know that he's always been looking for a body to inhabit. Um, we have an example of that in the book of Jude, where uh, the body of Moses was contested over between Michael and uh, Satan himself, for that yeah. very reason. Right. For that very reason, uh, who knows what, you know, what, what would have happened had he been capable of doing such a thing. Right. Uh, yeah. But he's we know that that's ultimately what he's going to do. He is going to possess a body uh, whom the Bible calls the man of sin. That's correct. Marty too. You know, also, too, I think this explains. Remember when Adam and Eve, after they ate of the of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What does God immediately do? He kicks them out of the the garden and prevents them also from eating of the tree of life. Correct. A tree, the tree of life, which represents Jesus Christ. Uh, thank God that they did not eat of it. God prevented them for a reason, because yes. there will be a time when the second Adam would come, and then we would be able to eat of that tree of life. Right. Yeah. So that's right. Is there a, there's a connection there, right? Why? Absolutely. Because, but but then look at the limit, right? Because that 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 is right. that you know that it's it's there, but it's limited. Because the full right. expression. Remember when he said, "Let us make man in our image." The making of man is an ongoing ongoing process. It 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 has been completed in Christ. He is that man. And Christ is the one that reproduces children. Let's keep looking because what we're talking about here, and I think it's beginning to, to come out, is that when God breathed and made Adam, the literal word means a, a, a living, sentient being, right? When he became a soul, he became a soul, and that's what the scripture tells us, but a soul that is not fully completed yet. And in so doing, God protected the entirety of humanity. Like Brother Jeremy said, 
had he remember what the Bible says, you created the him a little lower than the angels, right? Had he created man, like you mentioned a few podcasts ago, in the eternal realm and man would fall, there would be no hope of his redemption. But in, right. in reducing him down to a limited vessel destined for a glorious destiny, he gave him the opportunity then in his wisdom, should he fall, and he knew we would, that, that there would be possibility of redemption because he fell not in complete knowledge. He fell in ignorance, if if you will, devoid of what would later come on the day of Pentecost, which is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit himself. Now listen. Mm. So I believe what we're seeing here is that in this breath was the anger of God, knowing the price that was going to be paid some 4,000 years later on Calvary had now been set in motion. And in it as well is a travail, like a woman bringing uh, something to birth. So he breathes into him that kind of a breath, but it's the breath of life. The word life is high. It means he became a living thing. But it also means this, check this out, when he breathed into him, he also breathed, because the word chai, it means a congregation, a multitude, a troop, or relatives. <laughs> so in essence, the breath of life also contained within it all the offspring of Adam, every soul that would ever be born in history was was breathed into one vessel, the genetic substance, the DNA, the sperm bank, if you will, that contained every soul that would ever be born in humanity was breathed into one vessel. And that's why he became such an appetizing target for the enemy. Because if I can take control and possession of this vessel, then every single child that's ever born after him will be under the influence of my spirit. I will become the prince of the power of the breath. I will become him who works through. I will give expression through these children that are yet to be born. He became the father of a fallen human race. What he attempted to do was once again to be like God. But what he actually did was inhabit a vessel and every soul that would be born out of that vessel. But in essence, every single one would die. So he still mm. cannot reach eternity. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's condemned. <laughs> to time. Yes. Right? To time. Yes. That's it's right. Powerful. <laughs> so so it was it was taken from Adam when he ate the fruit. And he took that fruit into himself. And it's at that point, the Bible tells us, that sin entered into the soul. And in, and in so doing, it also entered into the genetic pool of every soul that would ever be born. And Satan became the spirit in man instead of the Lord's breath. And now the devil was animating the thoughts of mankind. This is incredible when you think about it. Yeah. God. Wisdom of God, the power yes. of God, right? Hallelujah. And, yes. And so, so now let's fast forward to John, chapter twenty, because something profound is done by the Lord there, and I think it may it'll make more sense to some of the people why He did what He did. Remember what we talked about yesterday. Those of you who haven't heard it, I, I encourage you to go back. 
that what we started this Bible study with is that there is a there is a conflict that has been raging from the dateless ancient past, and that the whole of creation, the earth is the is the battlefield where all of it's being settled, because it was from the earth, and you need to go back and listen to those podcasts where the original rebellion of the one known as Lucifer took place. From this planet, he ascended above the heights of the clouds. He he ascended above the stars of God into the into the congregation on the mountain on the sides of the north. That's Isaiah 14. That's what he did. The original fall had its origin here on this planet, and we ain't got time to get into all that because it's a fascinating study. The implications yeah. of it are incredible. I mean, you go throughout the earth today and you'll find monolithic structures buried under the ocean, massive structures and temples that were built even in, even above ground. There's temples that are built that they don't even know how they were built. It's quite conceivable that all those structures were pre-Genesis 1-2, but that's for another day. But let's look at, so Satan becomes the controller of the sentient principle, the soulish aspect of humanity. But God limited that expression in the garden, knowing what was going to come forth. And in that breath, there is the mixture of anger and the travail of a woman, because the expression of God into the one vessel which he formed out of the dust of the earth was an expression of anger, knowing that what he was doing was inflicting ultimately, which we would have happened on Calvary, the judgment, destruction, and the stripping of the power of the enemy, the prince of this world. It would happen only by Jesus Christ. He came and he took that penalty, a life for a life, the first Adam for the second Adam, the second Adam for the first Adam, if you will, an eye for an eye. He laid down his life that he might take it up again, which is what he did. And this is why what he did after the, after the cross, after the resurrection, is so profound. Remember what we're talking about. Because now he comes to his sons, and he does something in John chapter 20. Are you there? John 20? Yeah, John 20. John 20. Yes. Brother Jeremy, could you read me uh, 19 through 22? Just read that, would you? Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his sides. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now read this, real said, read this real slow. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Amen. What did he do? He did the same thing that the Father did in the garden, only this time... It's the Lord himself breathing on them. The very same act that the Father did to Adam. The Lord deposited into the apostles the entire church. Listen to what I said. The Lord by his breath 
deposited into the apostles when he breathed on them the entire church. Remember, Jesus is a life-giving spirit. When God breathed into Adam in the garden, he limited it to soul humanity. When Jesus now collects, if you will, the fathers, like Adam was the father of humanity, the, the apostles would become the fathers of the church. This yes, is why right. they received... This is why they receive the Holy Spirit before the rest of the church does. He's literally breathing into them every single soul or spirit, if you will, that will be born again by the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel to the whole of humanity. The miracle of the preaching of the gospel, that's why he says, like my father sent me, I'm sending you. And here, take this with you. You have the substance breathed in you, which will cause life to come forth from death oh my goodness right <laughs> so remember that's why the the bible talks about that the very city of of jerusalem is built on the 12 foundations of the apostles right their names are on the bricks and it says that jesus is the chief cornerstone he's the head of the church but the apostles as well are the fathers of the church they're our fathers and just like god breathed into adam who fell in the garden and plunged humanity into death, Jesus coming and paying the price for that, death has no more hold on him. And so when he breathes into the apostles, he breathes every spirit child, if you will, for lack of a better term, that will ever be born as a result of them fathering the church through the proclamation of the gospel. And it can no longer be touched. Like Adam was touched, Jesus' children can't be touched, right? Because they're spirit. They're not flesh, they're not soul, they're spirit. They're made of the substance of the son of the living God. And so he deposits his breath into the apostles, and in so doing, he deposits the breath of every living spirit, if you can see it, that would ever be born again by the preaching of the gospel. Because from them would come all the children of the Lord, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the many sons that would be brought to glory. Remember, Adam was a soul. Jesus is the life-giving spirit. And so this is why when we look at the day of Pentecost, right, there came a sound from heaven, like what? A righty, a mighty rushing breath, right? Wind, it's the same word, it's breath. And now the right. breath be begins to inhabit the church. And we become, and let's close with this. Take a look at this. In, in Ephesians, we're going back to Ephesians, chapter 3. We become something absolutely destined for our mission, our purpose. Dominion has been given back to the children of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is the head of all things. And that's why God has set him far above all principalities and powers, far above everything and every name. That's where our Lord is. He controls it all now. And listen to this. This is what Paul meant. Are you there in Ephesians 3? Yes. Yes. He says, he says this. Uh, he says, unto me, in verse 8, he says, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the, the nations or the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. That's what we've been talking about, 
which from the beginning of the world, this mystery was hidden from the beginning of the world, hidden in God, who made all things by Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. To the intent now unto principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by who? The church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying there now? He says, you church, now you're not like the children of disobedience. They are controlled by an energized fallen soul, and the energy that's driving the children of disobedience is the spirit of the devil. But he says, when you accepted Christ, what literally happened to you is your old man was crucified with Christ. That old Adam-like Thing was crucified with Christ, and his spirit has now come and taken residence with you. Like the devil inhabits those children, Jesus inhabits you, he says. And the expression that he is now giving through us by his spirit, through his word, is the intent that every child of God should make known the manifold wisdom or the multidimensional wisdom of God is now being expressed through the church. And verse 11 says, this is the eternal purpose, and this is what he did when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We serve a glorious Savior. We have a magnificent, magnificent destiny. And until then, like Paul said, understand, this is why you're fighting. This is why you're dangerous to the enemy, <laughs> because you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And the breath that you now breathe and that gives you life, shall never be taken from you and you are now the church and your duty he says is to go forth and preach that gospel preach this word and declare that all power in heaven and earth belongs to my master my king my lord and my god the son of the living god jesus christ the lord of glory can you say amen hallelujah hallelujah Praise god. brother marty you have a quick question Marty, I just had a quick question. Just in case someone was to ask themselves, when Jesus breathed the Holy Ghost upon his disciples, what about the saints from the Old Testament? I would say mm-hmm. they're included in it too. Because, right, as Abraham, he saw the day, right? Yeah. He looked into it. Would Would you say that if, just in case someone was to ask, what about the Old Testament saints? Well, Are they the church? Remember- Yeah, and remember that the Bible tells us that they without us could not be made perfect, right? We had to come together around the word and faith, right? That's what it says. They looked for that city. And we're told by the scripture that that Jesus went down into the lower parts of the earth and he preached to the spirits uh, of the souls of the past. You know that scripture? (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. He went down. Because what the Bible teaches us is that before Jesus came and opened the way, that the and, and you guys can read it in Luke chapter 16, I think it starts with verse 13, where he gives the parable or teaches, many many believe that because he was using names that he was actually referring to an actual event when he talked about the rich man and Lazarus. And he talked about when yes. the rich man died, he was immediately he was in hell. But when Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom to the place known as paradise. And that was in the lowest parts of the earth. Men could not go to be with the Father for the price had not been paid yet, but they looked for the day. Like he said, Abraham saw my day. 
They looked for the day when the Messiah would come and rescue their souls, rescue their souls. And so when he went down into the lower parts of the earth, what we're told is, is there's a great gulf between the two. But he led captivity captive. Once he paid that price on Calvary and said it is finished and commended his spirit into the hands of the Lord, immediately he goes down into the lower parts of the earth. Contrary to the popular charismatic uh, I, you know, blasphemy that teaches that for three days and three nights, Jesus was being kicked around by the devil and demons and all that stupidity they preached. That's not what he did. That's not what the spirit right. of God told us in the word of God. It says, when it is finished, check this out. The Bible tells us that on the earth, on the surface, there was a huge earthquake. Why do you think there was such an earthquake? Because Jesus immediately went down into the lower parts of the earth, and the gates of hell could not prevail against what Hallelujah. he did. He, he tore down those gates, and the Bible says, however that happens, I don't know, but he collected the souls of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whoever had died in the past. King David, all of them, man. And Samuel, I mean, just go down the list, you know. And, and, and Esther and all them great, you know, saints of God. He went and got them all. Sarah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, he, he took them all. And, and he led Hallelujah. captivity captive. And he threw off principalities and powers. And he made an open display of them. Hallelujah. So, so then when he, right, so he takes them into heaven. And that's when you read Psalm 24, lift up you gate. Lift up you yes. everlasting doors. Hallelujah. And and the king of glory is coming in, right? That's what they're shouting about, yes. you know? Jesus made it home. Right. And, and he said, who is the king of glory? He says, the Lord, the mighty Lord in battle. Hallelujah. <laughs> mighty <laughs> in battle. Glory to God. I don't get Hallelujah. me started. Well, praise God. Cat meeting on a Thursday. Glory to God. On a Thursday, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a resurrected Savior. We don't serve a Savior on a cross. We serve a oh. Savior that's seated at the right hand of the Father. He rose on the third day. That's why yes. we serve him. He was declared yes. to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Glory to God. Anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. <Praise laughs> Whatever y'all awesome. want to say. That, and that was the thing that uh, the early church, the early church was prohibited by the religious leadership of in Jerusalem from preaching what? They resurrected. Yeah, no, resurrected. Rose again. Yeah. Hallelujah. That that is where the where 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 the devil doesn't does that that's what he doesn't want to hear. Amen. Yeah. He yeah. is alive. He rose again. Amen. Lord, so yeah. this is powerful. I recommend to the listener to listen to this again because some powerful truths and insights are being uh, revealed to us in Scripture. Yeah. Um, and it, it, again, it's not your, you know, it's not something that they normally teach in your, you know, your, your Sunday Bible study or, you know, or, or <laughs> Sunday school or whatever. This, this is some real deep things that need time to really, uh, need time to really concentrate and meditate on what's being said. And again, it's there in the word. All you have to do is look at the root word of what the word, uh, 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 breath, breath means right or, or yeah. air it means breath yeah. right look it's right there it's it's the power of the breath right the prince yeah. the power the prince of the power of the breath the spirit that breath is the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience right so right. that's what's taking place right here it's a battle of two kinds of spirits that are uh energizing two kinds of people 
right? There are those who are being energized by the spirit of the enemy and those who have the spirit of God. Right? The whole creation yeah. groans. Yeah. To what? To see the manifestation of the sons of God. Amen. And that day and that yeah. day's just ahead of us, brother. It's coming soon. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Praise God. <laughs> You know, and I'll be honest with you, they don't even teach this in our seminars. You know, I, I know what I'm telling you. And, but yeah. it's there. It's there. The power of life and, and death was given, was breathed over Adam, but the power of life, the Holy Spirit, was breathed upon the church. Praise God for all this teaching. And yes, let's go back. I mean, I, I feel energized myself. It just It just enlarges. <laughs> And magnifies the yes. great plan of God, the redemption work the of, God, of God, yeah. the mystery of God, right? That that we so much limit and we make it just about <laughs> ours and our victory and our prosperity. And ah, be quiet. <laughs> There's more to this than uh, yes. what we're listening. There's a greater plan, and, and it's it's the plan of God all along. Amen. And Jesus yes. came to take back what's rightfully His. Hallelujah. Lord, and amen. we are part of that life now. Yes. He says, I come to give you life, life abundantly, life, eternal life, and no one can take it from us. And so we're grateful yeah. for this time. I pray that you have been blessed. We sure have been blessed here today, opening the word. And continue, continue to pray for us. Continue to pray as these podcasts are going out. And uh, continue to join us. Lord willing, we'll be back here tomorrow. And help us to pass the word and tell others to listen to those that you feel you sense in your in your heart that are hungry for the word of God. You know, pass these along. It'll be a blessing to many people. May God bless you and keep looking up.